0: Good morning everyone, good to see you guys, and happy Mother's Day to my mom, happy Mother's Day to all of you out in Facebook land, um, just picture us all giving the mothers a hug right now, but uh, um, I've been eager this morning to come together uh, although i'm I'm not really sure how to do this, but because uh, uh, what I want to go through, honestly is an entire book. And I don't want to keep you guys here for days upon end. So um, but the Lord laid a thought on my mind that I want to begin with. I want to share with you, and then we're going to go through some of these things. Um, and then perhaps I'll remind you of this thought. Uh, you know the the saying, the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. So much of it is in your perspective of how you look at something. And that's what he kept laying on my heart this week for the bride, is is the glass half full to you, or do you look at it as half empty? Um, that's going to play itself out uh, in a very profound way as we move forward. Um, another thing I want to mention before we get into this book. Um, first of all, I want to encourage you. Study. Um, I, obviously, we've spent a lot of time in Revelation. We've spent a lot of time in you know Matthew 25. And some of the prophetic areas of the New Testament spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. I want to encourage you because, because very few, um, uh, preachers and stuff really get into the minor prophets. And we have, and when I say we, it's, it's, it's many of us, not just myself. Many of us have found, um, uh, some incredible, incredible applications to what we're going through right now in the minor prophets. Um, I've spoke many times on the book of uh, Zechariah, right? And and how Zechariah, the Lord had told me early on, is is uh, we are in a foreshadowing effect of that book. Um, we we are following a lot of the same things that that uh, the Lord laid out to Zechariah, and I believe I believe it was ten visions. I can't recall the, the exact number, but I believe it was ten visions. Um, and and we're following along those same lines. Um, uh, in fact, um, I, I won't get into it now. But but the period of time in which we're entering right now in Zechariah, if you want to look at it, is is where the scroll on the front and back is sent out, and it gives a declaration of purity. And I, I, again, I won't get into that. But I want to encourage you to really get into some of these. The book of Amos is, is another one. Um, certainly the, what, what are called the major prophets, even, even Isaiah, um, Daniel. Um, today we're going to really focus on one, though, and that's the book of Joel. And over the last few weeks, I've, I've gone through, and many have, um, the the first one to bring it to my attention was Shannon, and and then many of us just started diving into this book, and and it's really um, an amazing walkthrough of where we're at today. But I, I before we get there, I want to mention something else, and and I'll say this because I know this is not just me. I've been seeing the number eleven eleven for a couple of years now, and. I mean, seeing it all over the place, randomly, seeing it, not just in time, but uh, uh, just everywhere, seeing one, 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 one. And for the longest time, I know my sister had been seeing it, I want to say, for three or four years now. She would see it every day, um, not knowing what that meant. And, and over the course of the last six months, God kind of showing a little bit more, of what that meant, but then he blew me away a couple days ago and and revealed to me in eleven eleven that i that I did not know yet and i want to share two verses or two passages with you regarding that isaiah and you could turn to this if you would like um, in Isaiah chapter eleven i 'm going to um, uh, read verses eleven but really eleven and twelve because This is going to fashion a baseline for what we're going to get into in the book of Joel. And before I read, let's pray. Father, we worship you and praise you. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. You press into us to recognize relationship with you. You bring us to a place of choice. And Father, we worship you and we choose you. I pray, Lord, that you fill my mouth with your words this morning, none of my own. Place on my heart your desire and none of my own. I give you my mouth. I give you my will. Ready, Make ready the hearts of those who would hear this. Make ready the heart certainly of ignition, but of your entire remnant that will have ears to hear that they may hear, eyes to see that they may know and see what you're doing. Because it is not something you're trying to keep hidden from us. In fact, you're trying to expose, you're trying to reveal so that we might choose you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11. In that day, and this uh, uh, this is Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, From the coastlands of the sea, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the far corners of the earth. Now, the first million times that I read those two verses, it didn't hit me like it did a couple days ago when when the Lord showed this to me, because remember, in the rabbinical mind, prophecy is not about. Prophecy and fulfillment, it is about cycle. It is, And, and that isn't to say, I want, I want to make this clear, that isn't to say that every prophecy in the Word of God will just happen over and over and over again. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the paradigm that they have. The paradigm that they have is that it's not necessarily one and done. It is the 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 nature of the Lord. That's what the prophecy reveals is the nature of God and there are times where, where that, that prophecy will be a cycle of it. I've, I've talked about this many times and it's important to understand the idea of foreshadowing. If you go throughout the Word of God, foreshadowing happens all throughout the Word of God. Right? Jesus Christ is foreshadowed. For example, He is foreshadowed in, in the life of Joseph. Right? Who was long before Jesus ever manifest as a man on this earth. He, he was foreshadowed by Joseph. So, so this foreshadowing gets people understanding of the idea of what God is doing. Okay? And, and in, in, uh, times that we've spoken before, we've talked about the, the judgments of the Lord, much of what we see in prophecy, much of what we see in Revelation, much of what we see in, in uh, the book of Daniel, in the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of these, they have foreshadowings of those very same things with the bride. Paul talked about it being the mystery of the Old Testament. This, this thing called the bride, the grafting in of, of the Gentiles, and, and he said... It was for a purpose, certainly a purpose to have a bride who would love him, but also to draw his chosen ones, which is Israel, back to him. See, God did not forsake Israel when he grafted in the Gentile. God did not forsake Israel because he decided to widen his span and bring in all who would believe in his son. He didn't forsake Israel for that. All the promises that God promised Israel, he will fulfill. We've talked about that many times. But in order to show Israel what he wanted to do with them because they are a stiff-necked people, he then will show it through his bride. That's where the foreshadowing comes in. We've, we've heard, you, you've heard if you've done any kind of prophetical study, any, any study on end times, you know what the day of the Lord is. Okay. First of all, the day of the Lord, let me, let me, uh, uh, set aside some confusion perhaps because some people think the day of the Lord is, is that single day when Jesus comes. And, and in, in an instant, everything is made right. And that, that's, that's not what it says. Okay. The day of the Lord is probably longer than a day. It is a process of the Lord. It is a series of judgment of the Lord. Now, I don't want to get into the, the, you know, nitty-gritty argument of, of that day being 24-hour day or, or whether it be the entire judgment. That's not the point. The point of it is this, that there is a day coming, a day of the Lord coming for Israel's sake where God judges the world that literally comes against Israel. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's what Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 9, that's what it's all about, okay? But in the foreshadowing of this, he is going to do the very same thing, and we've talked about this many times, with the bride. I I know growing up, we've all thought that, well, you know, we just hang on until that, that trumpet sounds and Jesus comes and takes us off the earth, takes us away from all this, for those of you who are, Older, you might understand the Calgon, the Take me away. Right? For those of you who are younger, you're like, what? You don't know what that means. Just take us away from all this. And yet God said, wait a second, I need an instrument that will make my people jealous. That takes me to the second 1111. That was extraordinary to me. I want you to go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Remember the one we just said in Isaiah, which is about the day of the Lord, right? Oh, you know what? Before you go back, hold on. Go back. Sorry. I wanted to point something out in Isaiah eleven eleven that absolutely blew me away. He said in verse 11, in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. Okay, now, in all of my Bible study, my understanding of that was, well, yeah, a second time. Because, see, Jesus already tried to gather them together before when he came and died on the cross, on you know, because they rejected him. So, yes, this is the second time. No, that's not what it's talking about. Because, see, Jesus knew what he came for. He knew that the end result was not gathering his people. That wasn't even the plan. The plan from the very beginning was him dying and being a sacrifice. That's what the prophecies of the Old Testament required, was this perfect sacrifice. So so when I read this a couple of days ago and, and, and the Lord just highlighted to me a second time in Isaiah it's talking about this day of the Lord coming for Israel, where where God is going to judge the nations on Israel's behalf and bring Israel to a point where Jesus can then rule on this earth. But he said a second time to recover the remnant that remains his people. See, he's doing that right now. He has stepped into that mode for the bride right now. Because he is going to draw the remnant of the bride together. Those who are hot for Jesus Christ. Those who would give him everything, not even be in fear of their very lives for him. He is going to bring them together. That's what he's doing. 1111. It just I see it every day. I see it sometimes multiple times a day. And that second time that that was extraordinary to me. Now go to Romans 11:11. So I ask verse 11 in Romans 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means? Rather through their trespass Salvation has come to the Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Do you know the number 11 in the word of God is judgment? Another extraordinary connection. Right? What God is doing here is he is foreshadowing what he will do with his people. And we could trust in that. We could trust just as Israel can trust during this horrible, horrible tribulation period that will come to the earth on their behalf to judge the earth. They are protected. It said it. They're sent away. They're protected in a place of, of preparation for three and a half years. They're protected. So will his readied bride. Be protected. Now recognize this, this is important to understand. It doesn't mean that the entire bride is protected. Just like Israel, entire Israel is not protected. Said in Revelation that when you see the sign, the abomination, the desolation of abomination, where where the pig is offered in the holy of holies. He said don't even pack a bag. Run. Just run for the hills. Run because if you go now, you will be protected. Just I'm I'm not going to turn there, read it. Go to Revelation, read it. Those who choose to stay, who choose not to believe, they're still Jews. But they will pay the dearest price. It's just like the the bride today. You do not with you do not sidestep his readying, you do not sidestep his judgment, where he is judging the earth on behalf of his bride just because you have the credentials. Of salvation. You do not get past it just for those credentials. You get past it because of your faith. Hebrews 11, read Hebrews 11. Interesting that it's chapter 11. <laughs> because what fights that very judgment of God? It's faith. It's faith. Believing what he says. Believing that he will do what he did. Or what he said he would do. I can't remember the name of that song that we sang this morning. But just saying, you said it, I believe it. Period. That's it. You said it, Jesus, I believe it. There's no further discussion, I believe it. And it will happen. But make no mistake. The times in which we live are a time of judgment coming, the day of the Lord coming. Don't confuse it with Israel's day of the Lord, although it will look very much the same, and there will be foreshadowing aspects that will be the same. Don't confuse the two. I want you to go to Joel. tell you what, man, I, I just would love to just read the whole book. I, I don't know how to do this, but um, how fast do you think I could read? You know what, I'm going to just read, because if we need to do a part two next week, we can do that. Joel, chapter one, verse one. Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethwell. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land. Now, by the way, as we're reading through this, I want you to picture the bride right now. Okay, I want you to picture the bride right now. Don't picture Israel. Picture the bride. Picture a foreshadowing. Okay? Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land. In all your history, has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come, and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. After then came the hopping locusts, and then the stripping locusts too. Wake up you drunkards and weep. Wail all you who want all you wine drinkers. All the grapes are ruined and all your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts have invaded my land, a terrible army too numerous to count, its teeth are like lion's teeth, its fangs like those of a lioness. It has destroyed my grapevines and ruined my fig trees, stripping their bark and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. Weep like a bride dressed in black mourning the death of her husband for there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. So the priests are in mourning. The ministers of the Lord are weeping. The fields are ruined. The land is stripped bare. The grain is destroyed. The grapes have shriveled and the olive oil is gone. Despair, are you all you farmers. Wail, all you vine growers. Weep because the wheat and barley, all the crops of the field are ruined. The grapevines have dried up and the fig trees have withered. The pomegranate trees, palm trees and apple trees. All the fruit trees have dried up and the people's joy has dried up with them. Dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the altar, come spend the night in burlap, you ministers of God. For there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of your God. Announce the time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to Him there. Verse 15, the day of the Lord is near. The day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. Our food disappears before our very eyes. No joyful celebrations are held in the house of our God. The seeds die in the parched ground and the grain crops fail. The barns stand empty and granaries are abandoned. How the animals moan with hunger. The herds of cattle wander about confused because they have no pasture. The flocks of sheep and goats bleat in misery. Lord, help us. The fires consume the wilderness pastures and flames have burned up all the trees. Even the wild animals cry out to you because the streams have dried up. And the fire has consumed the wilderness pastures. Okay, I want to point something out before we go on to chapter 2. What, what the vision is laying out there is not historically something that has happened. That's not what he's telling Joel. He's giving Joel a picture of the day of the Lord. He's giving Joel a picture of what is to come. Now I, I want to bring that into today to help you understand how this applies, what this looks like today. That chapter one, that is not this first woe. That is not what we're in right now. That is not what we're going to see over the next two and a half months. By the way, you know, we're we're not even quite, but we're almost halfway through this first woe. Two and a half months. We have until July 31st in this first woe. But what is this first woe? This first woe is not the day of the Lord. It is not the judgment that we see in chapter 1. We may see and see fear of portions of that. We may see that, well, yeah, I mean, it was it was a beautiful thing and then taken away. Because, you know, our economy was the best that it ever was and that, that has just been taken away. That's not what it's talking about yet in this foreshadowing. Because the Lord did say this first woe is a warning to the bride. This first woe is not even directed at the bride, but becomes a warning to her to wake up recognize the times in which we live recognize our responsibility as a bride our responsibility is to be on fire for him and that's it not our own lives in fact in revelation 12:10 i believe is the verse where it says that that or 12 something where where we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and the fact that we care not about our lives, even unto death. So understand what he is showing Joel here in that whole first thing. He's giving a picture of what this judgment, this day of the Lord is going to be. Okay, and I'm going to suggest... That that is what's encompassed in the second woe that will be coming. So that's coming on the whole world. this second woe. And I'm not going to get into, the Lord's shown me a lot about that. I'm not going to get into what that looks like at this point. He won't allow me to. But just understand that that is a global judgment. Just like it will be for Israel. But it's not... For the sake of going against Israel, just like for us, it's not to go against the remnant of the bride. It is for the sake of those who are passionate for Jesus Christ that he, is, he hears their prayers and comes to ready his bride. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me on this? Are you understanding this? Okay. Because I, I I know, I know it's, some of it's going to get a little deep. So recognize chapter 1 hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened in our day yet either. It was a picture of what's coming. Chapter 2. Now comes the charge. Okay, he goes in this chapter 2 of the vision, he goes to explain more about this. And then there's a charge involved as well. Verse 1. Sound the trumpet in Jerusalem Raise the alarm on my holy mountain Let everyone tremble in fear Because the day of the Lord is upon us It is a day of darkness and gloom A day of thick clouds and deep blackness Suddenly, like dawn spreading across the mountains A great mighty army appears Nothing like it has been seen before Or will ever be seen again Fire burns in front of them and flames follow after them. Ahead of them the land lies as beautiful as the Garden of Eden. Behind them is nothing but desolation. Not one thing escapes. They look like horses. They charge forward like war horses. Look at them as they leap along the mountaintops. Listen to the noise they make like the rumbling of chariots. Like the roar a fire sweeping across a field of stubble. Or like a mighty army moving into battle. Fear grips all the people. Every face grows pale with terror. The attackers march like warriors in Scale City, walls like soldiers. Straightforward they march, never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right position. They break through defenses without missing a step. They swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance, and the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars no longer shine. I want you to get verse 11, because see, you'd listen to this, and so many people... Assume this is the enemy. Well, God would never do that to his people. I'm sorry, you know what? If you believe what the word of God says, you have a real contradiction that you have to deal with. Verse 11 says, The Lord, Jehovah, is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome terrible thing who can possibly survive. I want you to understand that and and if you want to cross reference you could go to Revelation I, I want to say it's maybe chapter 10 I can't remember Right in there, 10, 11, somewhere around in there, where it talks about this army being raised. It's 10,000 times 10,000 doubled. It's 200 million is the number that, that it comes out to be. This is not the enemy. This is God's army. These are warring angels that are assembled for a specific purpose. And it is the purpose of God's judgment against a world that denies him for the strict purpose of readying his bride, of bringing his bride not only together, but bringing his bride to the favor of him as it will be seen on the earth. These 200 million have already been assembled. Believe it or not, but it's been seen by prophets all over the world. We have had many in Ignition see them, hear them. I have felt them. They are assembled and they're ready. This is not coming 10 years from now. This is around the corner. Now this is where we come to Is that glass half full or is that glass half empty? If you look at it as half empty, you want to run and hide. If you see it as half full, you see it as the very vindication of your Savior fulfilling his promises. Let's keep going. Verse 12. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. What does that mean? Don't have a religious response to this. That's what tearing their clothes was. It was a religious response to, oh, I'm just feeling this. Oh, Lord, you know, I ripped. Rip this off because it's tearing me apart. When in their hearts, they did not feel the same way. He's saying, I want your hearts. I want you to react to me with your hearts. Give me your hearts. See, that's tough when we have things like a career in the way that is more important than Jesus. When we have a relationship with with a spouse or a friend or a child, Or other family in the way that are more important than Jesus. When we have our own coping mechanisms in the way that are more important than Jesus. I'll tell you what. If you can't use Jesus to get through the day right now. And figure out how to cope with Him. Because you have a relationship with Him. You are seriously in trouble coming up. Because there will be nothing that you can use to cope. He wants your hearts. He wants everything in your heart. Return to this uh, verse 13 halfway through. Return to the Lord our God for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. I love Verse 14, we've got to pay attention to verse 14. Who knows, perhaps he will give you a reprieve. Sending you a blessing instead of a curse. Now remember what he said in chapter 1. He gave a picture of what this this army horde looks like as it moves across land that he described looked like the Garden of Eden, just beautiful, amazing fruit everywhere. This horde moves across it, and it's burnt cinder behind him. Okay, he gave a prophetic look of what it's going to look like. And then in verse 14 he said, Who knows if you do this, if you give him your hearts, if you lay it before him, if you passionately go after Him, who knows, perhaps He will give you a reprieve. Send you a blessing instead of a curse. What He's saying here in this vision is it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be like what it said in chapter 1. I'm going to suggest something here. I'm going to suggest that the book of Joel, and as we go through, I man, I, I want you to, it, it, it's, I'm especially talking to Ignition, but the remnant, go through Joel. Read it. Read it three times a day, every day, until it just sinks in. Because I think Joel is a little bit unique in the minor prophets. There's evidence that I see here that that this is not a foreshadowing that this is talking about us. This is talking about his bride. Why? Because verse 14 wouldn't be there if it was talking solely about Israel. Couldn't be. Because that is the end. That is not a foreshadowing of the end, but it is the end. Now they could certainly do that personally. And perhaps In that way, you could look at it as a foreshadowing. But I I really want you guys to understand, to apply this to now. Call it a foreshadowing, call it this book is for us, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter because it applies. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, send him blessing instead of this curse. Let's go on. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord, your God, as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. (sighs) Got to have some changes if we're going to do that, aren't we? Got to have some changes. Because in this climate, the government says you can't come together. Even though they have no authority to say so. I won't go off into that tangent right now. 16 again. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? Then we start to get into what the Lord can do if we do that. If we, and, and by the way, before, before we get into his promises of restoration and what he will do, I want to state this is something I believe in my heart is coming this is something that, that America can avoid if we do what it says here. If we give publicly, not just privately, not just all in our little prayer closet, privately say, I'm, I'm all for God, yay, and then not say a thing out loud. No, if we step out in boldness, this is why I have such a problem with with the pulpits today. And and for a while, they don't step out in boldness as to who the authority that they know they are. Perhaps they don't know it. Perhaps they don't understand the authority that, that they have as being the bride of Christ. As being in a country that has given us and approved those rights that we're given by God. But understand that in America, if we turn, if we turn and we give it to the Lord in a public fashion, in a public way, He will turn and relent. He will not come after us. That's why He's sending a warning. That's why this warning is here, so that we could see what we can avoid but we must be hot for Him. See, I believe in my heart, with my whole heart, that the evil that is in our government will be rooted out. I have seen visions of Donald Trump on his knees giving the Lord His due. You hear it in some of his words already. Wait until he sees Wait until he sees what the Father will show him. Because when we as a nation go to our knees and say, Lord, we repent. We repent of the babies that were given in sacrifice. 60 million plus babies. We repent of the... Ways that we have turned from your word and not trusted you, we repent. He will, listen, he will come and heal our land. It doesn't mean that everybody in the land has to agree with that, by the way. That's never going to happen. That doesn't happen in war. But it's the voice of authority. The voice of influence that must stand up. That's why, pastors, stand up. Don't be so afraid of what you have to lose. Because what you have to lose in eternity and in the readying of the bride is so much more. Stand up. Unite together. Be strong together. I do believe that there are many pastors out there that feel the same way I do. That will stand the same way that I will. We just got to come together. There can't be any more room for not talking because we don't believe the same doctrine. That separated us for too long. Satan has used that to come against the bride. And now the tide is turning. The clock is ticking. His readying has begun. And there will be accountability. I urge pastors to come together. Let's keep going. Verse 18, then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. Now, by the way, I, I want to point out as we're reading through this, as you're picturing this in your mind, I want to point out that, that this is while judgment is going on. This is, this is during the day of the Lord, during that judgment time, during the second woe, what we are asking for is Him to relent for the United States. So, so don't, don't picture this that, okay, well now there's not judgment for the world. That's coming Period. That's coming no matter what. Judgment is coming. Why? Because it's time for his bride to be readied. This is simply saying, are you going to be a part of it or not? Keep that in mind as we read down through this. Look, I am sending you grain, new wine, olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. During this judgment time, I will meet all your needs, in other words. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven into the Dead Sea and those in the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice. Oh, wow. i got to point something else out because those of you who feel the Lord does not bring judgment. Pull your stinking heads out of the sand. I heard a prophet this last week that, that said, said, well, you know, we don't really pay attention, and, and I'm paraphrasing, and maybe it's the way I took it, but I, I, we don't really pay attention to the Old Testament because we live under a new covenant. I have new f- news for you. We live under the same God Yes, we live under a new covenant, but the same goal is at hand. He wants relationship with his people. If we don't give him relationship, he is the same God today, yesterday, and forever. He will bring judgment. Problem is, if you want to fall under that, that thought process that, that the God of the Old Testament is, is, just, he's kind of the, the historical God. That's not really who God is now. You've got to rip up over half of the New Testament. Because look in Revelation, look who's doing it. It is God. It's not Satan. Don't attribute that power to Satan. It is God. Surely the Lord has done great things. Verse 21. Don't be afraid, O land. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem, rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts. See, we're not going to be fully held back from what's swirling around us. Remember what's going on. The day of the Lord is going on. The judgment's At this time that will be going on, when we pray as a nation, lay it before him, ask forgiveness, he heals our land. It doesn't mean we're not going to be affected by it. It means two things happen. One, he promises to meet our needs during that time. We just read that. And then secondly, he promises to restore what will be lost. In that battle. Verse 25 again. The Lord says I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust. The hopping locust. The stripping locust. The cutting locust. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again you will have all the food you want. And you will praise the Lord your God. Who does, does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be disgraced. I know we're getting late here. I'm going to read the rest of chapter 2 and then I'm going to summarize. Okay, and I want you to notice something. Because now we're getting into something that Peter proclaimed. Right, right after Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when when all the people said, "What are you guys whacked?" and he said, "Well, no." The book of Joel says, and and he he quotes this, verse twenty-eight. Then, after doing all those things, did you hear what I said? Then, after doing all those things. I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your younger men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. I will cause wonders in the heavens and on earth and blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. These will be among the survivors whom the Lord has called, this remnant. We have not seen yet what it looks like for him to pour out his spirit on all flesh. What they experienced at Pentecost was the beginning. It was not the beginning and the end. It was the beginning. It was not also after judgment. So recognize what Peter was saying was that I recognize that the days of what Joel prophesied have begun. That's what you're witnessing. He was referring to the church and didn't even know it. He didn't even know it because he, he didn't even have concept of the church yet. Not until God took him to the centurion did he begin to have a concept of the church. So he's saying these days have begun, but yet even to date we have not seen what the scriptures say that it will do. But we will. We will. We've seen it in portion. We've seen it in revivals. We've seen it in individuals. But one day we will see it in the entire bride. What a day that will be. What a dominant day on this earth that will be. I'm not going to read chapter 3, but I want to encourage you, because I I know it's getting late, I want to encourage you to read it. Because he goes in to explain the judgment that continues against all the nations that would come against his people Israel. So applying that to today, he goes and he shows all of the judgment, the battle, the war of these 200 million warring angels... That sound like battle tanks moving down the road. He shows what they will do in judgment against the nations that come against the bride. Or that literally come against the nations that have given authority to the bride. Given authority to Jesus Christ. Have literally humbled themselves repented and the Lord came and healed their land this is what is before us in opportunity we as a nation are the only nation who chose God from the beginning and then got away from it I guarantee you as a nation if we humble ourselves go before him repent of what this nation has done And it has to include the authority of this nation. It has to. That's the law. That's God's law. But when we do that, he will heal our land. And those who would rise up against us. Wow, we'll pray for them. We'll pray for them. Because I don't envy their position at all. I don't envy the position of going against the Creator, especially in not being His child. We're in a very unique position in history. What He's doing now is just beyond extraordinary. So, will we be ready? Will we be ready? Or will we be afraid? See, the line that we've been talking about for a long time, it has been drawn. The Lord has said this first woe is, is a test. It's, it's a warning to the bride, but it's a test for ignition. It's a test for the remnant. Who is going to stand and who is not? It's easy to speak that. It's easy to say, I will do it. But it's really hard To actually do it when you face opposition. When you face the armies of the enemy that would come against you. But that's what we have to do. That is the line in the sand. Alexis, come on up.
1: I have so loved the book of Joel that has been just rocking me, and um, I did not know that that was what God put on his heart today to share, and there are so many things in Joel, but one thing I wanted to just just show you that also links that together um, is that from what he just spoke about, the famous verse that has been prayed and prayed and prayed, but yet not fully understood, I think, into these times, which is 2 Chronicles. Chapter 7, verse 14, that famous verse, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The verse before that, though, I think is so interesting. The Lord is responding to Solomon at the time when the temple was completed. And he says... In verse 13, the verse before that, that often doesn't get noticed with this. He says, if I shut up the heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. Why would would there be an if? It's because he's holy. He found a place where he wanted to dwell. And he's saying in his holiness that there will be times that those things may be needed to keep my people in line or as a response to them perhaps turning away. So if that happens, how can there be a turnabout of those events? By humbling yourself, seeking, your, seeking my face, turning from your wicked ways, repenting. And it's just so sad. Um, and I know Greg already mentioned this, but it's so sad that the Old Testament, um, minor prophets especially, but, but all throughout the Old Testament, is discarded today as being relevant because it links a lot to the trend that's happened in the church, which is getting away from the holiness of God and from the fact that, that a place of repentance, when we lose that, when we lose that understanding that God is holy and righteous. It's like, it's like the holy and righteous God that, that requires the justice and judgment of God has to be mutually exclusive from the grace and loving favor of God. And that's not true. They reside together just like a good, good father. You know, when we sing the worship songs about what a good, good father, he's such a good, good father. Well, what does the New Testament tell us? That a father who loves his children will discipline them because of his love. He guides us through his discipline. He chastises through his discipline. And it is his holiness that, is, that requires that. And when we fall away from that, it hurts our relationship. It hurts our connection and our closeness. Because he is holy, he wants us to walk in the purity and holiness that will get us as close to him as possible. So we have to have that purity. We have to allow Him to refine us and purify us, so that the relationship aspect of our of our relate of our Christian walk is is able to be as close as God wants it to be. So I just I do um, I, I do want to challenge you. I've been there myself, and I want to challenge you to go into the Book of Joel and see the things that uh, and ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what. And how that relates to the times that we're in, because um, God, God is merciful. He is merciful and just, and he hears the cries of his people, but it's not, we have to be careful not to misunderstand scripture to say, and like Greg said, to say that because he's merciful and just, that somehow his holiness is thrown out the window and that there wouldn't be judgment for sin. There is always, if I am a good parent that loves my girls, loves my children, I only have girls, so I say girls, but if I love my children, then to really show the love that they need and guide them, to just throw out all manner of consequences and discipline as I'm guiding them, is not to love them, in fact, it's to be selfish myself sometimes parents that want this friendship and so therefore they don't impose any kind of restrictions or any kind of consequences for behavior on their children. They, it ends up being very indulgent on their part because they're not seeing what that child needs to be guided and to be growing into a a responsible human being that has respect for authority. So God, he draws us in close to him and it's, it's the holiness of God that, that we need to remember is such a, an important, huge part of His character. He loves us so much. And, um, and there's, there's so much there. I, I don't want to add too much more, but go back through the, the book of Joel. It is, um, it is really, really powerful, the times in which we're living. And, um, and we're going to see things, wonders of god's hand among us some of it will be a bit ominous and um and i think the ominous part that is connected to the holiness of god is why a lot of prophets steer away from anything they deem to be negative but it's not negative if and again i just i I keep going back to that parental example that i had loving parents who also were very strong in discipline and that is what now when I think of, of Mother's Day and loving my mother, and, and I just spoke with her yesterday, and just I just have such a love for her because of how I know that she she did discipline me. And and yes, there are there are things that we falter in. You know, some people don't like the to hear the correlation of father. They had a, perhaps a, a very. Um, bad human father and so they don't like to connect father with father their father with father god and yes we are fallible you know human uh sinners but the example of us being children of god is the same and it is the discipline that showed their love for me if they never ever steered me with any kind of discipline it would and that's what's happened in families it would show that they didn't care that they didn't love me and so I am so thankful for parents that disciplined me, um, and and even when it was in the flesh at times, and I've parented in my flesh. And God forgives and redeems and restores, but I knew there was a love, there was a desire. Uh, my mother has often said, and still to this day says, I have I, what I believe it's in Jude. Where she says I, I have no greater um, love than to know that my my children walk in truth, and um, you know to walk in close relationship with God, and understanding that He's holy and He's righteous and he's just, um, as well as loving and full of grace and mercy and long-suffering patience with us, um, that is walking in truth. Because when you're close to Jesus, you are walking in truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that we know. So let's just pray, and um, and I, I hope that you'll listen to this again and you'll really dig into Joel. So Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for what you are showing us. I just am amazed that we live... In this day and age, God, that we are seeing these things coming about, that you, that all these things are happening to draw us close to you, God. That, that you've given us um, warning after warning, God, that we've seen nothing but your grace and your mercy. And yet there has still been a, a desire to just walk more in the flesh, sadly, among many of your people, God, and in this world. And God, your holiness requires that there be a consequence for that. That is the attention-getter moment. And it is all, it is not, it is the holiness that brings the anger of your justice is not your anger hatred towards us, it's your love towards us. It's your anger toward the wicked ways. It's your anger toward Satan's taking over of so many lives and the agreement with so many demonic authorities that you want gone. Because you want that relationship. So, God, I I thank you, God. I thank you that there is your justice. God, I, I, I pray that over this nation today. This morning, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, God, that you would heal this land. That we would fall on our faces. That we would not... Think that we can just go about our own ways and, and even decide to worship you in our own ways, God. Oh, how that's just been depicted all through the Old Testament. How the children of Israel decided to bring you their version of sacrifices, their version of, of, um, bowing before you, God, that was, that was often with a mixture of false gods and wicked behavior because they got so far from from the, the purity of, of what was required and what you told them clearly they had to do to stay in right standing with you. So God, I just pray that you would awaken hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate truth, that we would not put anything before you. And as I even prayed, I believe last week, not even tradition, not even um, religious uh, upbringings, God, that nothing would be. Some of those things you you prove to be very good and very wise. But, God, nothing can be before our relationship with you and your word, God. Man's traditions oftentimes get steered um, and and caught in the left and the right, God. But we have to set you always before us so that we will not be moved. So, God, I pray that we'd be willing to lay everything before you, And I pray, God, that you would spare this nation what is coming, that you would move in the hearts of our leadership as you are purging right now the wickedness and the evil ways, God. I pray that their hearts would turn to you, God. But if their hearts will not turn, God, remove and silence the lying voices, the voices that fight back against your agenda. God, I I just pray That you would do your will, God. You are holy. You are awesome. We lay everything at your feet. How can we have independence from you when you are our very creator? Thank you, God. I praise you. I worship you and I pray an awakening. God, we know there is a great awakening even already begun. I pray that it would just ignite more and more that you would just spread that Holy Spirit conviction fire across your people. That they would awaken and trust you and love you. And that this idea of being sold out for you would not be foreign anymore. Would not be uh, unknown or, or rare. But that it would be the norm. That it would be the norm. That we would not come up with our own version of church. But that we would come to you and ask you. What do you say? That every plan and every step would be laid before you God. That we would heed all the examples, story after story, where you showed what happens when people don't lay their plans before you, God. When they don't walk in your ways, you will not be mocked. What we sow, we will reap, God. So let us reap life everlasting because of sowing in the Spirit. We just love you so much, God, and I thank you and I praise you. I pray a special blessing on mothers. God, but I pray for each mother today that they would seek your heart in rearing their children. They would not, that they would not be weary in well doing in the rearing of their children. That knowing that in due season, they will reap a harvest of blessing even in their children. As you say in Proverbs, when you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. So God, be with the the parents who are, are strained with this stay-at-home time of the children being around them 24-7. Give them strength. Give the mothers just a a loving, uh, tender, loving hug from your Holy Spirit today, that you are with them. And, and, God, I pray that they would heed what Greg said at the very beginning, that you, Jesus, alone would be our coping mechanism for a hard day. For if we do not turn to you for these things now, then as things become more challenging, we will stray further and further. I pray against that. I pray that you would open our eyes to, to see and know that you are the answer from the smallest detail trial in our lives to the greatest oppression we could face in even a, a possible civil war, that you are the answer to everything. God, I worship you and praise you, and I ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.